Well, good morning, church. It is really great to be with you today. Uh, it's been a few weeks since I preached here on Sunday morning. The last time we were talking about restart, and uh, I mentioned that I was going to be going on a cruise, but I was already planning my restart. You remember that? Well, I've been restarting this week, and uh, I managed to get into my shirt today, so I'm excited about that. Well, I'm also excited about the fact that today is the start of our campaign on relationships, revamping your relationships, leveling up. And I think it's going to be a great time over the next six weeks or so. We want to provoke and help each other to go to another level and how we relate together. So in our life groups and in our Sunday morning sermons, we're going to do a deep dive into this topic. And I I want to challenge you uh, here right at the beginning to really ask the Lord in your own personal times of prayer and devotion that he would speak to you and help you grow in this area as we make it an emphasis. As I mentioned, Angie and I were uh, recently on a cruise celebrating our 25th and it was so nice to get away and to just unplug for a bit. I was trying really hard not to think about any of you and uh, trying to just relax and unplug. But one day as we stepped into the hot tub, there were three other people already sitting in there and, and they were having this whole discussion. We sort of stepped in right into the middle of it, this whole discussion on COVID and vaccines. And suddenly the hot tub on the cruise ship became very very unappealing to me. Those were two words I had no desire to hear on on my cruise, let me tell you. But one thing I also heard was each of them was in their discussion was as they were talking about this whole issue was describing the tension and even the relationship breakdown that there had been in each one of their families as a result of this issue. I think the stories I was hearing in the hot tub have been the reality in the lives of so many over the last three years. There's been an added layer of pressure that's had a very negative effect on relationships. You know, healthy relationships are a challenge at the very best times, but when pressures mount, they become even harder to maintain. I've heard my dad say many times in my life that almost every major problem that we face in the world is due to a breakdown in relationships. I would say that how well we do in life is directly related to how well we do in relationships. If we don't learn how to relate well, then we just become ones who contribute to the world's problems. Interestingly, in schools and in institutions, most of the focus is on academic knowledge and training in technology, but very little on learning how to develop and maintain healthy and effective relationships. But if you have knowledge, and if you have all these skills, but you can't relate to one another, you're likely going to waste your talents you're likely going to sabotage those abilities that you have. I remember uh, when Angie and I first got married, I really didn't think we were going to have any struggles in our marriage or, or, or they would be minor. We got along really well while we were dating. We liked each other. Uh, we both had a pretty healthy upbringing. We took the pre-marriage course. How hard could this be? Well, we had hardly been married 24 hours before we met our first patch of relational difficulty. 
By year five, with, the, with, with some added pressures, with uh, some health issues and a, and a new child, there were cracks that were appearing in our relationship. And at that point, it became painfully obvious that we had to learn how to relate to one another better. Suddenly, we become much more receptive to hearing and learning and growing. And, and we dove in and we read some books and we took a course and we learned some stuff. And I would say that we are very much still learning. But as we've committed ourselves to learn and to grow over these last 20 some years, our relationship has gotten healthier and stronger. And I want to challenge you this morning, church, don't be too proud to learn. Don't be too proud to ask for help. Especially, let me say this to, to the young Marys out there, the sooner the better. Don't be, a, don't be afraid to say, hey, we could use some help in this area. Commit yourselves to learning uh, how to relate better because if you can do this, you'll go to another level in intimacy, joy, and impact that you can make in the lives of others. I don't know about you, but I want to grow in my ability to relate over these next six weeks. And church, I believe that that's God's desire for us all. In fact, I want to tell you that this is actually what Christianity is all about. At its core, Christianity is nothing more than a restoration of relationship. It was for this purpose that Jesus Christ actually came into this world. As we talk about restoring relationships, we need to understand that the most important relationship that needs to be restored is first our relationship with God. When that one is restored and when our relationship with God is healthy, I'll tell you, it will have a direct effect on your ability to relate to one another. In the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we have the story of creation and the beginning of the relationship between God and man. At the beginning, man was pure. There was no sin in him. And we see an intimate relationship described between man and a holy God. It's why man was created. God was desirous of a family to be in relationship with. And so he created us. We were made in his very image, the Bible tells us. The Bible shows us that God is a relational God. We know that God is three and yet one. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're in perfect harmony with one another. This concept that is so hard to understand, it blows our minds. But because we were created in the image of a relational God, we are created uh, with a desire placed within inside us and a need for relationship. And so not only was Adam in relationship with God, but he desired relationship with another like himself. It was put in him. And so the Bible says in Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. And so God formed Eve out of Adam and the first human relationship was established. And so there in the Garden of Eden, we see Adam in perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with Eden, uh, with Eve rather. There was no sin with, uh, within them to pollute them. But we know the story. Eve was tempted by the serpent, the devil, who deceived her. And then Adam willfully joined her in choosing to disobey God and to eat that which was forbidden by God. And suddenly, sin entered the world. 
And immediately there's this chasm, this, this gap formed between a holy God and now a sinful man. And the effects of this were everywhere and immediate. Genesis 3 verse 8 says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, and Brian referred to this during his communion this morning, it says, The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, Where are you? Man has gone into hiding. He's ashamed. Intimacy with God has been broken. And not only that, but in this moment, uh, all of a sudden, Adam becomes defensive and he begins to point the finger and he begins to blame shift. Uh, A couple verses later, the Lord God says to Adam, have you eaten of the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman who you gave me who gave me the fruit. And I ate it. And so Adam is subtly blaming God. Even though he was desirous of a helpmate, he's blaming God. It was, it was your fault you gave me this woman and, and it was her fault because she gave me the fruit. And so he indirectly throws her under the bus as well. With the seeds of sin inside him, the immediate result is relationship breakdown and pain. The consequences are steep. God banishes them from the Garden of Eden. Adam experiences rejection for the first time in his life. And God speaks further to the breakdown in relationship that was going to occur between Adam and Eve when he said to Eve in Genesis 3.16, And you will desire to control your husband and he will rule over you. In the very next chapter... We have described a relational breakdown so severe that two brothers, between two brothers, that one out of rage and jealousy and bitterness kills the other. When sin came into the world, man became polluted. Every person from that point on was born with the seeds of sin inside them. And the result was separation from God and a constant struggle in relationship with one another. Sin produced lying and pride and selfishness and anger and jealousy and so many other things that tear relationships apart and inflict wounds upon one another. A deliverer was required. A savior was needed. A rescuer had to come. And so God, because he so loved the world, sent his son Jesus to come and remove man's sins and restore relationship between God and man. He did this by dying on the cross for us where he took all our sin and shame upon himself and was punished in our place. He experienced the rejection of the father as well as he was hanging there in our sin and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But his rejection brought us acceptance and brought us redemption. He, on that cross, gave us his righteousness in exchange for our sin and so doing made a way for our relationship with God to be restored. It's the good news of the gospel. We no longer need to hide, but as the writer of Hebrews said, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy 
mercy and find his grace to help us when we need it the most. But there is something that we need to see here. It was the breakdown in our relationship with God that caused the breakdown between our relationship with one another right there in the beginning. But as God has restored our relationship with himself, there is now inside of us the power and the grace of his Holy Spirit to restore that relationship with one another. And that's God's greatest desire for each and every one of us. It's always been the case. In fact, Jesus said, essentially, this is what life is all about. One time, one of the religious experts of the law came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment out of all the commandments Moses gave us? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. What was Jesus saying here? Essentially, Jesus is saying life is all about relationships. Loving God first and then loving one another as we love ourselves. When we do this well, church... We experience the fullness of that which we were created for in the beginning. When we don't do it well, we experience pain like no other. So a breakdown in relationships is the root of almost every problem in the world. But loving God with all our hearts and loving our neighbors as ourselves is the answer to the world's greatest problems. Thank God that Jesus made this, made this possible for us to do. In the time I have remaining this morning, I want to key in on this phrase. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. This phrase establishes for us the foundation from which healthy relationships flow. Indirectly, it refers back to this problem that we've been talking about of the brokenness of sin that leads to breakdown in relationships with each other in the first place. You see, as human beings, there is a God-given desire or instinct, rather, within us to love ourselves, and it's extremely strong. Larry Crabb, who was a well-known Christian psychologist, researcher, author, teacher, he, he made the statement, he said, the basic personal need of each person is to regard himself as a worthwhile human being. We love ourselves intensely. Our self-preservation instinct is incredibly strong. And in, and in a sense, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a God-given instinct. And Jesus says to us that we are to love our neighbor with the same kind of intensity, with the same kind of love. Well, if I'm healthy on the inside, if I have a right perspective of who God is, if I'm in a right relationship with God and I have a right concept of who I am in God, then I'm going to have, I'm going to be healthy on the inside and I'm going to do great at relating to people properly. But if I don't, 
if I have a poor self-image, if I'm unhealthy emotionally and spiritually, then I'm really going to struggle in relating to my neighbor. I'm going to be a part of the world's problem and not part of its solution. There is something that we really need to understand here that we saw at the very beginning in Genesis. There is an adversary in this world. The Bible calls him Satan. He's a deceiver. He's a destroyer. He's a thief. Jesus said the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. God created us for relationship. We've said that. He hardwired us to need and to desire it and to love each other out of our own emotional and spiritual health. That's where the greatest joy and meaning in life is found. But the enemy, the devil, he also has a mission to destroy what God intended and to rob man of the life God has for him. And so he went after his relationship with God and went after his relation, our relationships with one another. He, and he went after it right at the beginning. And I'll tell you, church, he's never stopped. The desire of Satan has always been to bruise each and every one of us. Listen to what God prophesied to to Satan right at the beginning after he deceived Eve. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, and I will put enmity, that's like a blood feud between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise, who's he? The seed of the woman. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. God prophesied right from the beginning that Satan would bruise us. When we think of a bruise, We think of an injury that's below the surface. It's underneath the skin. I'm sure all of us uh, in this room have probably at some point in our life dropped an apple on the floor. When you drop it on the floor and you first pick up that apple, you look at it, oftentimes it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with it. You put it back in the fridge and then you look at it the next day and all of a sudden you see that something did happen when that apple was dropped on the floor. Something was damaged on the inside. And what was on the inside eventually showed up on the outside. The bruise will ultimately rot the whole apple. The same happens to us as people. Satan tries and he does bruise people. He causes them to hurt on the inside. But what is on the inside is eventually going to manifest on the outside. If that bruise isn't healed, it will fester and it will grow and could ultimately destroy us. And that is the mission of our enemy, the devil. Notice what Jesus said in Luke 4 verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. That's exciting. 
What a great promise we have. Uh, Jesus said the devil, uh, right at the beginning, the devil is going to bruise you. But Jesus, when he shows up, said, I came to set free those that have been held captive by their bruises. This word bruise here in the Greek language from which the New Testament was translated means to break in pieces or to shatter. And this is what the bruising of Satan does. It shatters us on the inside. But if the inside is shattered, if the inside is broken, then what comes out of us is also broken. And so instead of loving others from this place of health internally, we operate out of our pain. Ultimately, what happens is we then become tools in the hands of the enemy. We become tools that he uses to bruise others as well. As the saying goes, hurt people, hurt people. Church, I want to tell you something. Satan is ruthless when it comes to bruising us. Even innocent children are prime targets of his bruising. I believe that the enemy comes after us even while we are in the womb. Before we are even born. I think children in the womb are more sensitive to what is going on than we often realize. In the Gospel of Luke, we have this account of John the Baptist leaping in the, in the womb for joy. Uh, uh, the womb of Elizabeth at the mention of Jesus. Even medical science has shown that the emotional state of the mother can affect the child in the womb. I believe that bruising can occur before we are even born. My sister Tracy is someone who has an incredible story of Jesus bringing liberty to someone who's been bruised. Tracy has allowed me to tell her story all over the world. Some of you wouldn't know, most of you would, but my parents adopted my sister when she was just a newborn, two years before I was even born. It was a story, truthfully, of the Lord seeing Tracy and rescuing her and loving her. The circumstances surrounding her birth uh, aren't really well known to us other than that her biological mom was very young and was certainly not a healthy situation. The enemy, who the Bible says prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for an opportunity to devour, saw an opening. He used the circumstances of her birth to bruise her right there in the womb. My father will tell you that he saw within my sister a wound of rejection, even when she was just a baby. Weeks after being in their house, it was obvious. It's a long story, but that wound festered, and it grew, and it affected Tracy in her relationships, and it brought this destruction into her life. Until ultimately she cried out to Jesus to heal her. God has done an incredible miracle in her life. I'll tell you that the girl she is today is not the same person she was 20 years ago. God continues to heal her as she continues to surrender her life to him. But one of the things that I've observed is that when he bruises us, when the enemy bruises us, when he does it once, he doesn't stop. The unhealed bruise or wound 
makes us weak in that area of our life. In our physical bodies, you know, if you get a wound on the surface of your skin, if you don't take care of that wound uh, uh, properly, that unhealed wound can, uh, is vulnerable and, it, and it's prone to infection and, and, and it can really get out of control if it's not dealt with properly. It's the same with wounds in our spirit. And so the devil will come again and again in the same area because we're vulnerable. He's ruthless. I've had a revelation recently of a bruising that occurred in my life as a young boy that I have recently realized just how much it's affected me as a pastor. Most of you know, my mom even talked about this recently in a sermon, that when I was a young boy, my father was falsely accused uh, of some things in the local newspaper in the town of Swan River where I grew up, where my dad planted his first church. Lies were told about him in our church. I'll never forget the day my mom heard the report. I'll never forget exactly where I was standing in the kitchen of our home when my mom walked through the doors and collapsed into the window, grabbing a hold of a curtain as our good friend Marge held her. It's a memory that is seared on my brain. I remember thinking at that time, how could somebody be so mean to my dad? And somewhere in there, I subconsciously vowed I will never be a pastor. Unfortunately, over the years, I got to observe up close my dad helping other pastors and hearing their stories of betrayal. The enemy continued to develop this belief in me. I recognize it now. There was a bruise that happened there. There was a wound that happened there. And the enemy began to come after me in that wounding area, even though I didn't understand it. And only recently it's become more clear to me. The enemy continued to develop this belief in me that I never wanted to be a pastor because I too one day would be publicly ridiculed and perhaps even falsely accused. Well, I'm a pastor, so obviously I've been pushing through it. But recently, I've been battling a lot of anxiety and fear in this area, and I've been uh, 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 and I've I've been triggered, to be honest, by some events that are even happening around us. It was really affecting me, and when I asked the Lord why I was being so affected by uh, so affected by it, I felt like the Lord showed me. This bruise that goes all the way back to my childhood. I need to be healed. So I don't operate out of fear and intimidation. There are so many ways the enemy bruises us. With rejection being one of the primary ways. We could do a whole sermon on the results of rejection and the destruction that brings to our life. If I'm really vulnerable with you today... I can tell you that the bruises of rejection have affected both Ange and I in our marriage. When Ange, before Ange and I were dating, I tried for two years to date her. She refused. I wasn't tall enough. 
cetera, et cetera. Now I pushed through. She didn't drive me away completely, and so I figured if I, if I still, she lets me hang around, I'll wear her down. And eventually I did. But I, we laugh at it, but I have realized over the years that actually those two years, I experienced rejection. And it bruised me. I've had to battle in my mind off and on for 25 years that she doesn't really like me or that she didn't really want me. That somehow, well, after two years, I guess this is the best I'm going to (laughs) get. You might think that's funny and it sort of is. But I want to tell you, those thoughts have been very real. Especially at vulnerable times in our relationship. She wasn't trying to bruise me. But it happened. The enemy is ruthless, so he plays on that weak spot. And sometimes I look at things through the filter of my bruise, even in our marriage. And it comes up with all sorts of irrational thoughts. But they don't seem irrational at the time. When things get sorted out, I go, oh my gosh, I'm such an idiot. That was so stupid to think that way. But in the moment, when I'm looking through the filter of the bruise, it doesn't seem irrational. The wound of rejection, whether intentional or not, has affected me all my married life. I've had to really battle it had to take it to the Lord for healing. Even as recently as two nights ago, I had a vivid dream. I won't tell you all the details of the dream, but Angela was rejecting me in the dream. Now, she was really nice to me on our vacation, so it doesn't make sense to have this dream this week. But I thought, how interesting, I have this dream right before I prepare this sermon on relationships. Oh, the enemy is a liar and he's ruthless. Before we were married, the enemy used me to bruise Angela. I was so worried that I was going to marry the wrong girl and miss God's destiny on my life that I kept Pounding her and hounding her with questions about her relationship with Jesus. And asking her questions like, uh, I'm going to radically serve Jesus. So are you going to radically serve Jesus? If God calls me to tuck to yuck tuck, I'm going. Are you going to come with me? I hounded her. And I didn't realize for several years, even after we were married, it all of a sudden I began to clue in how the enemy had used me to bruise her. It was innocent. I just wanted to marry the right girl. I just wanted to follow Jesus. I knew it was important. But even though my heart was right, how I did it was wrong. And unknowingly, I bruised her. You see, those questions produced a thought in her mind that she wasn't good enough to be my wife. That she wasn't good enough to be the wife of the pastor's son. Remember, my dad was the pastor in those days. 
good enough to be the wife of a pastor. My fears bruised her. And she's had to war for freedom in her own life over these years as a result of that bruising. By God's grace, I saw one day what I was doing. And I stopped trying to be the Holy Spirit in her life. I realized, I'm trying to be the Holy Spirit. You know what I've learned? When we try to do the Holy Spirit's job in someone else's life, we become a tool in the hand of the enemy to bruise them. That is a take-home point. When we try to do the Holy Spirit's job in our relationships, we actually become a tool in the hand of the enemy to bruise. I sometimes try to do what the Holy Spirit can only do, and it caused damage. And I have watched so many people doing the same thing. Even with my own children, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to be the Holy Spirit. I can't be the Holy Spirit in my kids' lives. I just bruise them when I try to do that. I got to leave them to Jesus. Leave them to the Holy Spirit. Don't do it, church. The enemy will use that as an open door. Now to Angela's credit, she's faced that bruise head on. In fact, even in recent years, I've just watched her as she's gone after that area in her life and just seen how God has been healing her. And I think I've, you can see it every day, every week, every year. She's flourishing more and more and every day stepping into God's destiny on her life. So proud of her. And I hope now I'm able to be part of her wholeness. That's what God wants. To actually be part of her healing. And not her bruising. Church, there's so much more I could say on this area. But let me bring this to a close with this thought. I read it earlier. Jesus said that he came to set at liberty them that are bruised. Isn't that interesting? It implies that where we have been bruised, we are also bound. I came to set at liberty them that are bruised. Let me tell you how bruises bind us. They bind us to the one who hurt us. They bind us to the bitterness from that hurt. They bind us from loving and receiving love the way God intended Where we have been bruised, we are bound. But Jesus said, I have come to set free those who have been held captive by their bruising. Where we've been bruised, where we've been bound, Jesus came to untie us and to make us whole. Over the coming weeks, we're going to talk a lot about how to be whole on the inside. So we can flourish in relationships. Next week my dad is going to talk about how embracing truth and honesty is a key to a healthy self-image and relational wholeness. It's going to be powerful. But I want to end this morning by coming to the healer. Isaiah prophesied this about Jesus. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Isn't that awesome? Jesus took the wounds so that we could be healed from our wounds. He was bruised for our iniquities so we could be healed from our bruises. That's our Savior. Would you stand to your feet with me today? I believe that there's two ways that we get healed from the bruising inside of us. One is just a truth encounter. When you know the truth, it sets you free. What I've been talking about this morning is just an awareness. Sometimes just even being aware. Oh, I've been bruised. This is a truth encounter that it becomes the first step to healing. Knowing the truth. We're going to speak truth over these next six weeks. I believe the truth encounter is going to lead to freedom in our life. But there's also, it's not just the word, it's also the spirit. There are some times when the spirit takes that word into our heart and brings it to life. Where we have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and it just breaks something and it just changes something. I believe in the preaching of the word of God and I believe in ministering by the power of the Holy Spirit. The two working together bring freedom. And so even this morning, I want to give an opportunity for that prayer of the Holy Spirit to bring healing and to break chains. Maybe even as I was uh, preaching this morning and being vulnerable with you just about some of the areas in my own life where I've been bruised and where I've been a bruiser. Maybe the Holy Spirit was just illuminating something into your life where you go, oh my goodness, I see, I've been really bruised in this area of my life and it has affected me in so many ways. And you've heard me proclaim that Jesus is the one who can heal the bruises. And so I want to give you an invitation. Why don't you just come out of your seat this morning and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to minister to you. We are, we're all bruised people. There, there's no shame in the room. If you, if you just need some prayer this morning, our ministry team, we, we just want to lay hands on you. And I want to even pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I just been believing, to, even as I was preparing this, that today was going to be a Holy Spirit encounter time in people's lives. I've just been so stirred, even as I was praying in my office this week, that today was going to be a significant day in many lives where the, the healer was going to come in the room. The healer in the room. So why don't you come and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you? Maybe you need to come and just because the Holy Spirit has given you a revelation. Oh my goodness, I've been the bruiser. I've been trying to be the Holy Spirit. And you just need to repent and, 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 and confess that to God. Maybe you just need to say, God, I've sown things that I didn't even intentionally sow. But by your grace, would you uproot those things? Come on, church. Would you just come, pastors and leaders, and just begin to lay your hands on people this morning and just begin to minister the love of God. 
You know, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if, if there's still this gap of sin between you and the holy gods, you can receive his grace and his mercy and his righteousness and have your relationship with God restored simply by confessing your sin and placing your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. I'm going to pray just a prayer of salvation. If you need Jesus as your Savior, pray it with me this morning. Jesus, I come before you knowing that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and wanting my relationship with you restored. I thank you, Jesus, that when you died on the cross, you made a way for, for the relationship to be restored and for my sin to be removed. And so I confess my need of you and I lean into what you did on the cross for me. Uh, I say today, Jesus, be my Savior forgive me of my sin I receive your righteousness if you pray that sincerely let me tell you he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west you don't need to be ashamed places his Holy Spirit inside of you begin to heal you on the inside Father I pray today for those that have responded, standing here at the front, those that are responding in their front of their computer screens and watching us online, those that are standing in their chairs, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to them in their hearts. Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do? Would you heal where only you can heal? Would you untie what only you can untie? Would you undo what only you can undo? Father, where, where we've been wounded, would you heal us? Where words have been spoken against us and have caused bruising on the inside, would you heal us from the power of those words? Would you rescue us from the things that have been proclaimed over our lives that have, that have cursed us and brought death to us? Would you undo those things in Jesus' name and release us from those things? God, where even physically there's been abuse and, and sexually there's been abuse and, and emotionally there's been abuse and these things have wounded us deep on the inside, my God. Would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit and heal as only you can heal? Devil, you are a liar. You are a deceiver. And today, by the authority of the name of Jesus, I bind you who has bound the people of God. I tie you up who has tied up the people of God. And I loose what you have bound in Jesus' name. I loose by the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. I speak freedom where you have spoke bondage in Jesus' name. I declare that God is a healer where you have wounded. By his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. You don't own the people of God any longer. They don't belong to you. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. 
So let them go in Jesus' name. Loose them in Jesus' name. Every demonic spirit that has rode in on the bruising be bound in Jesus' name. Let that spirit of rejection be driven out of this place in the name of Jesus. Let that heaviness of the enemy, depression, be driven out of this place in Jesus' name. Let that spirit of insecurity and fear be driven out of this place in the name of Jesus. Let confidence come to the people of God. Let boldness come to the people of God. Lord, the scripture says that you are the great shepherd who leads us by the still waters that makes us lie down in green pastures and restores our soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. We have a shepherd who restores our soul. Father, I pray for emotional healing this morning. In Jesus' name. Hey everyone, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We hope you enjoyed it and found something that spoke to you or blessed you in some way. That really is the heart of Harvest City Church, that you take what you've heard, learned, or experienced here, and then go out and share that good news with others. So go ahead and post this video to your page, start conversations, and who knows the lives that God could transform through it. If we can support you in some way in this season, please let us know. Maybe you've decided to dedicate your life fully to Jesus. We want to hear about it and celebrate with you and help you in those first steps. Connecting in to share the joys and the struggles of life is why we're here. Finding community is super important too, so if you're wondering about any of our programs for kids, youth, or adults, just reach out to us by phone or at the link below and we'll be in touch. To all of those who are partnering financially with us, thank you for your investment into the kingdom of God. It allows us to do what he's calling us to and reach even more people. For more info on that, go over to harvestconnect.ca slash give. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our live stream chat area at harvestconnect.ca slash live. It's a great place for interaction, commenting, prayer with our online hosts, and more. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our social pages and all that good stuff too. Take care, keep living your call, and we'll see you again real soon.